0: Canucks Central Thursday, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah in the Kintec studio. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Uh, coming up today, the Canucks and Anaheim Ducks. We will have the full pregame on radio starting at 6 o'clock and simulcast on Sportsnet Pacific starting at six thirty Sats as we get ready for Kevin Bieksa at Rogers Arena.
1: Yeah, man, uh, excited! It'll be uh, it, it'll be a bit of a change of pace, some optimism and some some fun before a game, and not the doom and gloom <laughs> that we've been accustomed to with the Canucks so far this season.
0: Yes. And, and uh, it, that, it is. Does that apply? No, it is a game where the Canucks are lining up as a uh, favorite against the uh, the Anaheim Ducks, which is not a common occurrence no. for the Canucks uh, so far this season, especially for a two win team. That's uh, it's very hard to find these days. But, but maybe they'll
1: win tonight, Dan.
0: I'm. Uh, well, we'll we'll get to it in the pregame when we make our power picks. But I'm. Uh, I think you're feeling a W tonight. I'm feeling something. Something's good. Something good's going to happen for the Vancouver Canucks this evening. You're now, like Baker Mayfield today. <laughs> Feeling dangerous. Um, so Kevin Bieksa day. It, it's been fun, kind of following along and, mm-hmm. and seeing all the different types of things that have been uh, said and uh, seeing juice going around and doing doing the rounds. We're hoping to connect with him at some point before the game. We'll see if it happens. But uh, let's just start with what you remember of uh, of Kevin Bieksa.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think
0: he's. It was interesting listening to him
1: talk about it today because yeah. he kind of talked about how, well, it wasn't always roses here for me. I mean, the, the media was critical sometimes. People were critical sometimes and all that sort of stuff. And it made me think about, yeah, I mean, there were times when you know people talked about maybe he should get traded. Is he worth the money? He almost did get traded the year. Um, the Canucks went on that cup run that summer leading into it before Salo got hurt. So he did mention, like, it, it wasn't always roses and stuff. But what I think of always is the quintessential... All heart, yeah, all heart and soul type of Canuck that people love. Right, drafted by the team, strode up out of nowhere back in two thousand and five, and just like started feeding guys, and you know he kind of had the machine, machine gun punches kind of going and everything like that, and he kind of caught everybody by storm with how he came up and how he quitted himself, and then then following year he ended up being a top four defenseman for this team. So so I think people viewed him as found money, but. In this market, I think people really have an affinity for that physical guy. Most Canadian markets are like this—a guy that isn't afraid to drop the gloves, a guy that loves being a Canuck, a guy that you know cares about the city. So I think there's, there's a real connection with BXA because he, he just came off as being a
0: quintessential Canuck. It—I uh, mean, he was—he was the perfect right shot defenseman <laughs> for for uh, a, a lot of years. Well, you know. Uh, Perfect as maybe Drew Doughty or peak Eric Carlson, yeah. uh, Kel McCarr. <laughs> but um, just in the way that he did all of the little things right, was sort of a glue guy, brought that physicality to the game as well, could score a little bit, you know, with the 40 point seasons that he had. He brought a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. but ultimately, what he was most known for and what I most remember him for is those fights is the Anderson Silva type punches uh, on on the ice and you know I think that the Superman punch the Superman punch those were the things that I remembered most about Kevin Bieksa and obviously you know today was a lot about the culture that he helped build here in Vancouver.
1: It was. And that's what really stood out um, because we talk about the physicality and stuff like that, but he was also a talented hockey player. I mean, this guy had 40 points one year. He had a good, he, he was really good at getting a shot through on the point on the power play. And, you know, as time went on, obviously, guys like Edler and airhoff were better options than him on the man advantage, but he was good at getting the puck out of his own zone, made a good clean pass, was pretty good defensively, but he was a guy that would create offense as well. He was really, like he mentioned himself, an all-around defenseman. He really, really was for this team. And... One of the things that stood out with with what he mentioned, and we'll play the clip here, is just the accountability and how much have we talked about, the, how, how how often have we said that word now over the past few weeks with the season starting, accountability, is it good enough? And it's easy to throw the world, word culture out there, but the question really comes down to, do you have an environment where people are pushing each other every single day to be better, where you're challenging one another, and you're also making sure that you're accountable to one another when things aren't going well, you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing? It's hard for us to answer those questions, but from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like that seems to be a strong suit of this team. You hear other players commenting Mm -hmm. on that being a possibility too with with what they see from the outside looking in. And when you hear Biexa talk about what they had here back then from that accountability and culture standpoint, well, it makes you kind of wonder if they're capable of getting there here.
0: So here is uh, Kevin Biexa. He spoke uh, with the media this morning. But uh, the Canucks have uh, recently posted what has said to the team um, before
2: Morning Skate, before he joined Morning Skate. Here it is. The most proud thing I am is the culture that I helped build in this room for about 8 to 10 years. And I knew it was special because when we had guys come from other teams and we had Bo come up and everything, guys would tell us, like, this room is special. You guys have something good here. So how did we develop that? It wasn't like just me and the twins and Luongo. It was probably like, I think it takes like three to four defensemen, one to two goalies and six or seven forwards of ultra competitive guys, ultra competitive in your own right. Like, are you a net front guy? Well, you're the first guy on the ice tipping pucks every morning. Are you a shooter on the flank? Well, you're a guy who's on the ice every morning shooting a hundred pucks before practice, right? Like that's what the skill guys did. That's what the Kesslers, the Burrows, the Sidines, that's what they did. Are you an energy guy? You're in the gym. You have like your mandatory workouts, but you do more, you go above and beyond. So you're the best conditioned guy, you're the strongest guy, your body's not breaking down from all the contact. You hone your craft, you take pride in what you do and you work your f- doing it and that's what makes everybody a better team. And then you keep each other accountable. If everybody's doing that, the goalies are on early, everyone's working at their profession and you battle each other in practice, And that's why we were a great team for 8 to 10 years, and that's why we had a great culture.
0: So there is uh, Kevin Bieksa on what made those great Canucks teams have such a great culture. Yeah, and...
1: It does come down from each, it come down to each individual being wired a certain way and being right. willing to do that. And it always comes down to your best players. And he mm-hmm. kept kind of re- referring to the Sadines as well. And say you, what you want about Ryan Kessler. Nobody ever questioned his dedication, his work ethic, and how much he battled, whether it was in practice or not. I mean, we joke about the fights in practice with Willie Mitchell, for instance, yeah. back in the day. Not to spend too much time on him, but as far as, you know, just things that would happen. And those were the notable ones. The guys battled and played hard. They worked hard all the time. They kind of had that standard set. And you kind of wonder, overall, how is that standard being set now? Which players are able to do that? Yeah. Are we seeing how big of a difference it is culturally between what this group is doing and what that group did back then? And I think sometimes it's unfair to compare certain groups to the golden era of any team. And listen, Mm the golden era of Canucks hockey wasn't fruitful enough to win a Stanley Cup. No, it was not. So it is what it is, but it was the best era and it was the most competitive and most dominant high-end stretch this organization has had during that, that time. So what made them a good team? And it's hard to say, you know, it's not easy to just be like, oh, these guys should go out and do the same thing and be the same way or whatever. But it shows you how far you have to go and how it ultimately comes down to your best players. Yeah. That's what it comes down to.
0: This is, um, you know, part of what's so frustrating about this team. That there was another small bit in BX's larger um, talk with the team where he just... <laughs> You know, he sort of mentioned how you have to go through tough times to really find the best version of yourself, Mm -hmm. Uh, paraphrasing a little bit, but that's essentially what he said. And they went through the tough times and they came out on the better side for it. Now, I'd like to believe that for this team, Sat, but we've seen those really difficult times and I I sort of hoped, I guess, that they overcame that and learned a lot from last season, as they talked about at the end of last year when they fell just short of the playoffs, that the 25-game stretch that they had to start last year that resulted in the wholesale changes on the coaching staff and in the front office did sort of, you know, it was a learning experience that they would not go back to. And yet that's... That hasn't been the case. No, these guys haven't graduated yet. Yeah. You know, and p- people make the point, that you know,
1: and we asked a question yesterday, you know, I made the point. I still stand by it. This group isn't serious enough. Mm-hmm. They haven't been serious enough about being great, you know, and yes, we can talk about the the, the team not being good enough, the defense needing improvement. And there are a lot of things that have to go their way, but there are certain things you can control as an individual. That you don't need to have your surroundings be perfect for you to establish day in and day out. And, you know, Torgi makes the point, I'm not comparing the two, but Luke Shen seems to be like PX in in a lot of ways, but you need more than one guy. And we posed a question yesterday, who, who on this team continually shift in, shift out, game in, game out, plays quote unquote winning hockey? Does things the right way, or at least tries to and aspires to doing it consistently? There aren't that many. Peterson you can point to and even he has his moments and we saw last year he had to go through his maturity and a year before that. Luke Shen, a guy, but mm-hmm. it has to be more than that. And what made those teams great is your best players were driven to be that way. The city is how competitive they were and how hard they worked. And and that's kind of what you need to see from these guys. It's great to have supporting cast players, guys that can be followers. And if you have somebody who sets the standard, they'll follow along and you know they'll total line, they'll, they'll do what's necessary. But do you have those guys that inspire everybody else to do so, or at least or push them to do so? And that's something that hasn't been established here yet. Yeah. And I'm not optimistic about it being established with this current group. They need changes for that to happen. That's my opinion on it. But, you know, it's... It's been too point, many years of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not saying I don't believe in a lot of players here. I do. But I don't believe in the collective being strong enough together. They don't have the right pieces. And it goes beyond just having an imperfect and flawed roster.
0: Yeah, and there's got to be a point where, you know, a a change to the core is the next card that front office plays to try and find the right mix, to try and get a better mentality out of these players than what we've seen. How many times have we heard these yep. things
1: I mean it's not the first
0: time we're talking about well, this now though. now they've threatened you know yeah and that came out actually publicly now so yeah
1: I mean y- you know you could point back to a player some players in the past and, and the thing is it's easy to say hey you let these guys go like say Markstrom and Tanev who became like that with their with their habits and how hard they worked and how they established themselves I mean Tanev as far as how he worked he was that type of player it's it's easy to say hey should have just kept those guys. And yeah, ultimately, you can look back at 2020 hindsight and say, should have probably kept Tanov. Considering what you're spending on the defense and the other moves you made, you'd rather go back if you had you know, your druthers going and yep. make that type of a move. But it's easy to say, say so in hindsight. It always came down, down to, do you have the group that can graduate and become that individually here? Or who are you replacing that with? And they haven't been able to replace that. And in going back now to 2020, it's been an issue here with this team. Um, it, it
0: definitely has been. So, you, you look at uh, a couple of these texts here 650, 650 um, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Juice is the definition of a Canuck on and off the ice. Uh, does the one day contract allow the Canucks to dress BXO? That's from Snoop the Dog. No, 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 it does not. So, um, it, it, it was fun to see him at the morning skate, but you won't see him actually in the lineup tonight. So,. One thing I wanted to talk about with, you know, for instance, I see people mentioning here
1: too, like, you know, who else, and we'll get to what you're going to get to in a second, but a lot of reaction to, well, there are, you know, guys like Bo do play the right way all the time. So does Quinn and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think Quinn's getting there. I think he can. He's been a bit back. He's been a bit injured, but I think it can still get a lot better. And Bo works hard. He does. But the defensive habits are not good. The PK habits are not good. Yeah, you know those things aren't good. Shift in and shift out. There are a lot of responsibilities that are not fulfilled consistently. You know, and, and and you can't just point to him and say it's him. It's not. It goes beyond him. And there are more players that are like that. But as far as setting that standard day in and day out, I don't think that's that's happened. Yeah, you know, like I think if we're being real about it, that hasn't been established.
0: There's a. Um... You know, it's like one of two things with this team. Either you think they're not talented enough, you know, and that's why they're losing hockey games, and maybe you know there are some parts of the roster that need fixing. There's there's no denying that, but the bigger question is why does this collection of talent seem to fall short of its potential? Mm-hmm. And not just that, as you like to say, Sat. Why can't they become a greater sum of their parts?
1: Or at least live up to the sum of your parts. Don't be lesser than the sum of your parts. I mean, it's one thing to be optimistic and say, be greater than the sum of your parts. And that's a. I think sometimes that's asking somebody to do more than they're capable of and punch above their weight, so to speak. And I mean, that's not really a fair standard to hold somebody to, but that's the optimistic ideal you want to get to. But at least live up to who you are. Yeah. You know, and, and when you're underachieving, that's a big issue. And I think that, that's where, where where it does come back to your habits and it comes back to the culture that you said in, in the accountability, because why are you allowing or why aren't you stopping mm-hmm. things from getting to this level so often? You know what I mean? Like wh- why why aren't you accountable enough for this to keep happening? Yeah. You know, it's like it's like doing the same thing, getting in trouble for it all. You know, repeatedly, <laughs> but then you don't learn your lesson. Yes, it's, it's the same type
0: of thing here, right? It's year and
1: year, year in and year
0: out, uh, and it hasn't changed. And look, you can put that on Horvat. You can put that on some of the other teams collectively. It has not been good enough, and there's there's definitely blame to go around the entire roster with where they're at right now. As far as tonight goes, it... so one thing that is quite obvious with this team right now, Seth, they are. Not scoring uh, up to their potential mm-hmm. at five on five. Um, the numbers aren't really all that pretty. Sort of the metrics put them in you know, bottom five of the league and how they're they're generating chances at five on five. And what we've seen Boudreaux do now with with Besser out of the lineup, is go back to a strategy he had towards the end of last year, Mm -hmm. and that's just load up the top six with my best six forwards and hope they win the game for us and hope the bottom six does their job and plays at about even. Because right now, like the Canucks aren't getting anything from their bottom six, and Boudreau has loaded up Miller with Horvat, and he's got Pedersen with Kuzmenko and and Mikhaev, Mm -hmm. and it just feels as though they've gone back to as he looks to find ways to get results, they've just decided we're going back to being a two-line
1: team. I, I think that's the your best option at this point, especially when you are not winning. Nothing replaces, nothing is more impactful than having better teammates. You know, we were talk we talked to Shayna Goldman about this yesterday. If you missed it, it's on the podcast about the power play and loading up, and yeah. the whole idea of you know um, how to create more offense and the best strategy to get there. Do you do you kind of spread things out? Do you load it up and at this point, with how the Canucks are struggling, why try to go with three lines? Just try to create two lines that are generating offense and at least either winning matchups or or taking it to a draw. And what is interesting, though, is you start looking at, you know, that revolving door centers now behind it. Niels Ullmann done a fantastic job establishing himself as a center. Yeah. But that other door is just revolving. Studnika already... He's being pushed to the side. Yeah. Shell, the
0: drives is coming up to play down the middle. Boudreaux so, said the other night, Yeah, Jack's going to get a chance to play center here. No. Nope. No, one day. <laughs> one, one game. You
1: got one game, yeah. kid. And, and maybe it'll change. Maybe we'll get another chance later on or whatever it is. And and But it's going to be a bit of a revolving door. So at some point, JT's going to find himself on a different line. But for the time being, I don't think you have a choice. And considering the amount of offense you are generating with those guys together, at least on the power play, but hey, at even strength, you want to see a bit more? That's where it does make sense right now for this team to put those guys together.
0: So does this fall on Nils Hoglander and Vasily Podkolzin to a certain level? Because you expected maybe uh, more production out of them. Maybe expected is the wrong word. I didn't necessarily expect a ton of production out of Vasily Podkolzin, but we talked about this in preseason. Maybe the hype is getting mm-hmm. a little bit out of control for me. And, and I don't think Pod Colson has played poorly. I don't even think Nils Hoaglander has played poorly. But Hoaglander's coming out of the lineup tonight. Pod Colson has been moved down the lineup. We've seen his his minutes decrease as the yeah. season's kind of gone on. And now he's clearly into a bottom six sort of checking role as Boosh Boudreau has loaded up his top six. I hate that Pod Colson looks so sad now. Right? <laughs> But like, this is what it feels like is you haven't, the coach hasn't gotten enough out of those guys. So that's part of the reason he's gone to this. Let me just, you know, load up the top six and hope I can get the offense there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, because those guys, as much as they've done well in terms of creating some chances and their puck possession numbers are are decent, there's no bottom line. And at the end of the day, when your team's not winning, coaches just care about a bottom line. Yes. You know, that's what it ultimately Who's going to finish for me. Hey, can you finish? It's great that you have chances. It's great that you're creating, but you're not scoring. And if you're not scoring, we're not winning hockey games right now. And yeah. that's what happens. I don't like the fact that Pod Colson's being pushed because I think he's a young guy that needs a pat on the back. And I think if you support him through this slump, maybe he gets out of it.
0: Yeah. It's been just two assists uh, so far in the year for for Pod Colson. Um, look, there's a... This is sort of the uh, issue now with the slow start. Is Boudreaux is kind of, you know, he's gone into desperation mode. It's you you got your back against. I mean, it's it's the you know use
1: any cliche you want, right? You're back against the wall. Yeah, you're painted into a corner, and you're just trying to fight your way out of it. And how do what do you do? You try to do anything you can to win, right? And
0: bring up Sheldon Dries from Abbotsford to take Nils Hoglander's spot in the lineup. (laughs) No, I'll say this about Sheldon
1: Dries, right. Number 1, he's decent on the power play. Okay. So he will help yeah. on the second unit coming in. He plays responsible. Hmm. So Nika playing down the middle. It was it was a bit it was a bit rough and they're trying to get a W right now. There's not enough trust with the coach. He's not going to throw him back out there tonight. He doesn't feel comfortable doing so. And if he does, so that means Niels Hoglander is playing. Well, if you want to have some stability and a guy that you do trust and I do think Sheldon dries is um, he's more passable than we give him credit for. Like, it, it didn't excite me that they brought him back because I looked at it and I'm like, hey, I'd rather you bring somebody in potentially who can uh, be more with the opportunity and and maybe provide you something. But we know that Sheldon Dries can play. And when you're in this type of spot and you're not scoring, the coach looks at it and says, hey, I'll at least at least I'll take the center yeah. who is going to be able to do what I need him to do, and he's going to be able to be on the second unit power play. I mean. He can probably score as much as Hoaglander can on the second unit. Yeah. To be fair, like he he's good on the power play. You know, let's be no, fair he to is. Sheldon Dry. And, it's like he's good on the power play.
0: You even look back at the, you know, he basically played the last third of the season for the Canucks last year and did provide a little bit uh on uh, on the power play there. It's more about for it's more about for me, you know, wanting to continue to try and get more out of guys like Hoaglander and Pod Colson. I'm totally with you. I mean this the here's the question, right?
1: Like it comes down to again big picture versus what you're trying to accomplish uh today in in, uh, in the immediate future because what you're trying to do is stabilize things, get some victories and get back into the playoff picture. Big big picture for this organization, Niels Hoaglander developing into a player is more important mm-hmm. than whatever's going on this season. Same thing for Vasily put Colson. Yeah. So when you view it through that lens, you're like you guys ain't winning to begin with. Now Jack Rathbone's not playing. Yeah. Now Niels Hoglander's out of the lineup. Now Putkozen is is on the fringe of the lineup, maybe coming out if Besser comes in. I mean that's kind of the way it's trending with you know how he, his ice time has been reduced and where he kind of finds himself on the roster. And it's harder to swallow for fans watching it as well because they're like, I don't believe in this team. The now guys that I do
0: believe in, they're being benched.
1: Yeah. So it's like, what am I looking forward to here outside yeah. of watching you know the star players that you like and whatever? And hey. That might be a bit of a woe is me mentality, but I think that is a lot of stuff that does come out. And I can understand where it comes from, right? But if you're, if you're being logical about trying to win hockey games, it makes sense what Bruce is doing. It's just the fact that we're sitting here in game 11 of the season and it's already desperation
0: mode. And we've been talking about this same thing ever since that road trip to begin the season. Uh, it's It's tough. We're going to bring Cheech into this conversation, his take on it. John Garrett will join us, Canucks color analyst. Eddie Lack's going to join us an hour or two, some of his memories of playing with uh, Kevin Bieksa. Mm-hmm. That's coming up. It is Canucks Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, on a game day on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, Kintec footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire, quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Sat, it's... Uh, it's it, it's now the the type of rain that I was uh, hoping to avoid.
1: Oh yes, yes the torrential, the atmospheric the,
0: rivers. Yeah, you know what kills me uh, uh, about this? Like producer Josh was uh, one of those. I was like, no, nah, I'm I'm tired of like all this sunny like late summer stuff. <laughs> and I walk into work today, and he's like trying to tell me that nah, no, I I love all this rain. This is uh, great. He's like trying to talk himself into it. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I mean honestly, I don't mind it. Uh, the thing that's, um, and this is a f- big time first world problem, especially when we're, you know, we have to do like TV and stuff or yes. whatever. And, you know, we have like, it's, it's hard to avoid getting drenched, trying yep. to get to from uh, point A to point B. <laughs> that's the worst part of it. But outside of that, it's fine. We can handle it.
0: It's all right. We'll, we'll be okay. It's not
1: okay. too bad. Uh, let's bring Nothing in. a rain jacket won't hurt. Won't, won't help.
0: Uh, the other thing, people told me you don't you don't usually use an umbrella in Vancouver. I saw everybody using umbrellas today, no, because you need one on a day like today. Umbrellas. Uh, let's uh, let's bring in uh, John Garrett Cheech. Third world problems. And speaking of that,
3: <laughs> and you know how Shorty likes to bug me that I don't have parking in the rink? Yeah. And he does. Yeah. Well, so I have to walk from my parking spot. And now you have to go all the way around to gate nine to get in, because it's extra security and all that kind of stuff so uh i have my coat on that i wear here when it's cold in the ring first time ever i found it had a hood in it unzipped (laughs) it put my hood on there you go
0: and you stayed dry what a what a what a a world
3: (laughs) what a world oh my feet are wet but other than that
1: (laughs) don't you love that shorty gets better perks than you you played for the team don't I love that? What I said? Don't you
0: love that? Shorty gets better perks than you, and you played for the team. I know. I know. What's up with that, Cheech? We need to put in a petition of some kind.
3: Well, his 25 years and all that, and he gets a cake and all that kind of stuff. So I guess you know he can see if you weren't he do, holds that, and if
1: he weren't doing so he many, does c-
3: do some stuff. He hosted the uh, mm-hmm. Sportsnet announcement. Yeah, a couple of days ago. So he does stuff like that for them, and if, for a parking spot, yeah, why not? I'm not that bitter about
0: it, <laughs> just slightly. <laughs> uh, it's uh, John Garrett joining us, uh, Canucks color analyst. Um, it's uh, it's Kevin B. Uh What do you remember of Juice?
3: Well, his competitive spirit. I, I got to know Kevin uh, fairly well when he first came up. Uh, him and his dad Al were in um, Saint Paul, and the Canucks were playing against the Wild. And, uh, Kevin was just coming back from an injury and uh, they decided that they were going to send them to Manitoba just for a couple of games of conditioning. And uh, I was doing another game someplace else. So I didn't leave with the team after the game. And uh, Al and Kevin and I sat at the St. Paul hotel and had beers and talked about, and Al because uh, he's in between Kevin and I age wise, mm. he's closer to me than he is <laughs> the other way. So we got to, talk about old players and uh al's just a salt of the earth kind of guy and uh he's a union leader now and he lives out here but uh back then he was still in hamilton and uh it it was just so great to meet al and then to see what kevin was like sitting beside his dad and then we were talking over beers and uh his thoughts on hockey and uh he really got i got to know him as uh such a fierce competitor and yet such a young guy that really loved the game and I think that's something that he showed uh, and one of the reasons he was such a good leader on the team when uh, the team was really really good with the Sedins and Roberto and uh, you go up and down that roster when they won the president's trophy back-to-back years and uh, he not just being competitive and, and fiery and uh, but he loved the game so much and he loved to have fun while he was playing the game. And uh, I think that's a real trait that is gone from most of the players now because it's such a business and it's a 12 months of the year type thing that uh, you lose that fact that you grew up, you you started playing, and you never mm-hmm. thought you were going to make the NHL and you make the NHL and you're making a great living out of it, but it's still fun. It's a game. And uh, Kevin had that attitude along with, everything else that he brought to the
1: game. I mean, I think what stood out to everybody, the first thing that stood out was the fact that he was so physical. And I remember, I think the first fight he got into was with Byron Ritchie against the Calgary Flames. And you know what it's like in this market? People love the physical hockey player, the guy that'll drop the gloves, the guy that will lay out the big hit, especially if it's a player that was drafted by the team. And I think that fight really set the tone for the type of player he was and really began that love-in a lot of fans had with Kevin BXL. Yeah. You know, I I
3: don't, uh, he does that one little bit. Uh, The fans here love the physical play and you you look at guys like Stance Meal and Harold Snaps and and Tiger Williams and you go up and down and uh, Garth Butcher when he was playing. The fans like that. The fans like that. But Kevin was, uh, not only was he tough and not that big, Sad, you know, What's Kevin Wade? At the very most, one ninety. Yeah, very most. I I'd say he's probably closer to one eighty, and yet he was fighting all the guys who were two ten, two twenty, and uh, he, he was always in great physical shape and uh, in the gym longer than everybody else, and uh, just he showed the kind of uh, drive that I think the fans appreciated, too, uh, besides the physical play. And he knew when to do it. Mm -hmm. He knew if the team needed a lift. It it wasn't just a gratuitous fight. It it was, okay, we need a little lift here. And he would go out a big hit, or uh, if there was a fight there, there would be a fight, and uh, he would inspire the rest of the team.
0: John Garrett, our guest here on uh, on Canucks Central. So uh, one loss and, and the sky is falling. Uh, the uh, Canucks uh, losing to the Devils the other night. Yeah, you know I I thought they played an okay game, uh, Cheech. It's just you know, w- when they have those breakdowns, there's such big breakdowns and the two on ones impossible to save for for Demko. Backdoor plays impossible to save for Demko. It just it's it's the big breakdowns that are continuously and have crushed this team through the first ten games.
3: Well, and and they they keep using the word fragile, and uh, I used it really early this season after they blew the first three leads. That it, the shots on goal were seven one at one point, yeah. and the Canucks had two grade eight chances where they were in behind the defense and didn't convert. They, both of them, they were sliders right into the goalie. And the goalie, uh, okay, good saves, but not great finish by the Canucks. And uh, then when the power play came, and on a penalty that uh, you shouldn't have taken, and they score seven seconds in. And you could just see the fragility of the team and uh, the deflation of the fans, and it was uh, and then it snowballs. And like you say, the you press and there's two-on-ones and then you don't play the two-on-ones very well. uh, There's not a whole lot of Quinn Hughes in the league. And you saw the way Quinn Hughes played the two-on-one in the third period, where he did go to the guy with the puck, but he made sure that that pass wasn't going to go through. He had his skates lined up, he had his his stick lined up so that the pass wasn't going to go through. And the guy threw it right into his skates and there was no shot. Uh, But when you sprawl out and lay down and and the pass still goes through you're in big trouble and especially for the goaltender and and thatcher right now the way he's playing he's not getting any breaks and i think he almost looks like he's questioning himself so he's not getting the big save when he needs it and then it just keeps going
1: well, it has kind of just really snowballed that way. You mentioned that fragility, and the, the thing that's been frustrating is that we've seen this story the past few years with this team, I and mean, it's three years in a row in the beginning of the season, things have gone off the rails, and they've really stayed off the rails long enough to essentially sink any chance they had of being pl- a playoff team. And I know they made that push last year. and And I wonder from the body language sometimes... They know how hard it is to try to recover and make the playoffs. And last year, despite the run they made, Cheech, it came up short. So mentally, how big of a hurdle is it when you fall, back, you fall off early to start off the season? Things start going sideways for you. You know how hard it is to get back once you are out of it. Does it seem even more and more daunting in this moment for these guys?
3: Yeah, and I, I think the guys who uh, last year were the star players and uh, who feel more responsible, JT Miller is, is my example that I'm going to use. I, I would think Elias Pettersson, who's been pretty good this year, uh, the last game in particular, he, he didn't do much, and it was almost like he was trying to do too much. Uh, Bo is, is getting the power play goals, and, and Bo is putting the puck in the net. He's got some finish. But, but JT, I thought the Pittsburgh game where he had the one rush and he skated wide was – about the only time this season where I've seen him use his speed, where he's actually been uh, using his speed wide. And uh, last year, how many times do we see on the rush where JT was dangerous, where he would uh, get a defenseman crossing over or or standing semi-still and JT would just blow by them? And we haven't seen that this year. Mm -hmm. And I I, I think part of it is the fact that they're taking it on themselves to say, okay, here we go again. We better get going. And last year it was – They put themselves in the spot where uh, in December, and uh, you know, it's just the start of November, so they're 10 games in. There's time you can turn it around, but as you say, you don't want to end up where you have to play 700 hockey just to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they, they've got 10 games to uh, to American Thanksgiving, and uh, they'll need to win, uh, what, seven of those 10 to, to get back to five hundred by the 20-game mark. It's uh, it's already kind of getting daunting. But you mentioned Miller there, Cheech. Um, do you like uh, the move to put him back on the wing?
3: Yes, I do. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, because when you play wing, you have to get more involved physically. Puck comes around your side. You know the defenseman's pinching in. You're going to get hit. And you, when you're forward-checking, you're in first. You're going to hit the guy. Uh, to me, it's uh, a chance for you don't don't have to skate as much either, but you have an opportunity to get more involved physically right away every game. Whereas when you're playing center, you're you're kind of in the middle and you're creating chances, and uh, you have to skate back every breakout play. It's a centerman who swings through the middle and. Uh, defensemen are looking for the centerman and the wingers, you crisscross, but you don't have to skate as much, and I I think with JT, if he gets involved physically, and we saw that in the Seattle game, when uh, Tanner Pearson had the first fight, and then JT had a fight right after, that when he's involved physically, he plays better, and I'm not saying fight, but when he has some hits, and JT is one of the top two or three guys in hits, he was last year, and if he gets involved physically, then he's more mentally into the game.
1: And you know, obviously the, what they need more than anything is get going scoring at 5-on-5, five five, right? Because they've had a couple of goals now in the power play the last couple of games, but at even strength, they've had a hard time scoring. And, you know, I like that combo for the time being, Miller and Horvat. Ultimately, I think we'll see Miller down the middle again at some point in the season as time goes on. But as good as Elias Pedersen has been so far this year and Mikhaev's coming along, he scored a few goals here, so has Kuzmenko a little bit. It seems like they're still leaving a lot of meat on the bone as far as chances and, and not finishing. I mean, even the other night against uh, the New Jersey Devils, the chances they had in that first period, that line, they score once or twice. Maybe we're talking about a different game, different mentality against that Devils squad. I know they're close, but how do you view it? As in, it's going to happen or are you a bit concerned about them not finishing enough chances? Well,
3: you hope <laughs> To happen.
1: Yeah. But you've got two
3: guys uh, okay. Uh, Kuzmenko is still finding his way, I think. And it, you you watch him use the toe drag move and you say, "Okay, that might have worked in the KHL and uh, it might work in the NHL too, but uh, you can't do it every time. And you're playing with Elias Pettersson, you can have a lot of give and goes and uh, you'll get the puck back and you don't have to beat the guy standing still and, And Mikheyev is just starting to get back, in my opinion. He's just starting to get his legs back. And uh, he is one of the quickest guys in the league. And uh, when that happens, I think that Elias, because Elias is so good. Elias is an elite player. Once they get a little chemistry, and I think they're still looking for it, but they're together all the time. And and, uh, you talk about the missed chances, and I think that's one of the things that Elias is almost to the point now where, okay, do I pass or do I shoot? Because he's made all those passes and there's no finish. And uh, I'm, I'm almost to the point where you give it a few more games and then you're going to have to break that up, you're Kuzmenko and Elias, and you give Elias somebody else.
0: Yeah, it, it's been frustrating cuz he finds himself in in so many good spots but uh hasn't been able to finish as often as you would uh as you would like. Um Nils Hoglander's coming out of the lineup. We've seen uh, Vasily Pudcolsen's ice time uh, kind of shrink a little bit here as well, Cheech. Uh, what what have you made of the two young guys?
3: Well, you have to you have to put up some points. When's Vasily's last point? When was it? Oh, it's been a while. I'll tell you when it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. Team 4. <laughs> yeah. He's got two points, I think. Yeah, two assists. Yeah, two again. assists. Yeah, two he's assists. got two points. He had the second game and the fourth game. Yeah. So, you, uh, it's a, you know, a catch 22, I need more ice time to put up points. But if you don't put up points, you're not going to get more ice time. And the same with Nils. If you uh, create some chances and you don't finish, then what are you doing? You're not a grinder kind of guy, you're not a real good defensive checker kind of guy. So, you know, what are you going to do?
0: Well, the, the the thing about Vasily, and and Boudreaux mentioned this in in preseason, where you know when he sort of he he gets down on himself, he's a bit of a perfectionist, you know, and when he makes a mistake, he he starts to it starts to snowball a little bit on him. At the same time, you know, we can see the talent there. Like, how do you work that as a coach where you, you don't want to take his confidence away too much, but also Boudreaux, with the way the start is gone, you're like you're fighting and clawing for every victory or result you can get?
3: Well, that's it. That's it. And that's why Mills isn't in the lineup. Uh, yeah. And that's why Spencer Martin's playing tonight. Do you think if they had a better record that Spencer Martin would get this start? And I know Bruce this morning said, well, we had this plan that he played the middle game. Yeah, do you think if they won Tuesday that Spencer Martin would be no playing? no chance, yeah? no chance. Yeah, so uh, like you say, you claw and battle. You want to win every game. Yeah. You play your best game 82 times, and I think that's one of the things. Where did I hear that? Herb Brooks or somebody. That was his <laughs> uh, motto: was you play your best game 82 times. Yeah, well, and I think that's what the Canucks would like to try and do, and especially now the way they've got off the start they've had, you want to play your best game 72 times.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's kind of the position they find themselves in. And, you know, as as far as this group being able to have the accountability, have the type of culture that, that gets the most out of them – are, are we? Do we know the answer for that already, or is that still incomplete with this group of players as they try to figure out? It's kind of like what Bieksa talked about today. He was most proud of what they did back during his time in Vancouver, having the culture that brought the best out of everybody, the accountability they had, pushing each other and, and making sure they are being the absolute best they can be every single day. Is it, is it unfair to ask of this group to be more like that? Are they capable of being more? Or where where do you think things? Are I at? think they're at the they're
3: not there yet. I, I don't think you can expect this team uh, to hold everybody else accountable when they haven't had the kind of success that you need to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what uh, Kevin was talking about. Okay, you hold everybody accountable, but you've got the Sadins leading the league in scoring and uh, getting MVP awards. You've got Kessler winning the Selkie Award uh you've got you've had that success you've had a hundred point season roberto playing 70 games and does not candidate every year you've had that success so it's easier to hold everybody accountable and to say okay uh here here we go uh you had a dog game smart up let's go because you don't as a group you haven't had that kind of success so uh, until you do How can you as a group or how can you as four or five guys say, okay, what's the matter with, come on, we expect you more out of you when you're not having success yourself. And I think that's where this team, you can't expect this team and you say culture or whatever you want to call it. You can't expect them to have the same kind of accountability that that team had because they grew into that success and then it became easier. Uh, right now, the Canucks uh, haven't had that kind of success. You don't make the playoffs in the number of years that the Canucks haven't made the playoffs. How, how can you reflect among yourselves and hold everybody accountable if, as a group and as individuals, you haven't had that kind of success?
0: Uh, Cheech, you're the best. Thanks for this.
3: Really, and you guys are on TV. I can hardly wait to watch. It'll, <laughs> it'll just be so riveting. Oh, we'll have Uh, to watch warm-up. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Please contain your excitement. (laughs) Please contain that (laughs) excitement. We're going to steal all your takes that you just gave us. I thought you'd do it from the rink. I haven't been around to watch. uh, Last time you did it, we were on the road, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I, I thought you would be at the rink here, and you're not. So.
1: No, we'll be at the rink for intermission, though, for the second intermission.
3: Oh, just for intermissions. Yeah, well, we're here at the studio
1: for pregame, and then we're yeah. going to boogie over to the rink as soon as it ends. Yeah, well,
3: I'll have to turn off the World <laughs> Series game so I can watch part of the pregame. <laughs> Why do you lie? You know you're not doing that. <laughs> you're holding me accountable. <laughs> okay, talk to you later.
0: Thanks, Teach. Uh, there is John Garrett. Uh, one Cheech's of the absolute the beauties yeah. <laughs> in the business. Yeah, always fun catching up with Cheech. Uh 100% and uh some some great thoughts on the team. Yeah, I mean
1: it's it's true, right? Like you can't ask them to be like the golden era or what or whatever it is, but the question is, yeah, how many players do you have in there that are capable of pushing each other and getting themselves to that level, you know?
0: That's uh, what they're searching for right now. Um, They've got the Anaheim Ducks tonight who are themselves off to a slow start this season. Could be a uh, get right spot for the penalty kill set. Ducks have just two goals yep. on the power play their, so far this their year. Their power play sucks. Their PK
1: sucks. So as far as special teams go, I mean, hey, I'm not saying the I mean, the same way the Canucks look at Anaheim special teams. Anaheim's looking at Vancouver special teams. So like, yes. don't get too caught up in like, oh, you know, let's yeah. let's lick our chops here. Dallas Aikens
0: like. <laughs> If our power play is going to get right, <laughs> it's, it's, tonight's the, the night.
1: Tonight's the night. So, trust me, it's a mutual feeling between these two teams heading into this matchup. But uh, coming up later, we'll talk about maybe there is some value on the power play for the Canucks.
0: Uh, yes, we will. The pregame coming up at 6 o'clock on radio, simulcast on television, 630. So, while you're making dinner at home, make sure to turn on Sportsnet Pacific. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, former teammate of Kevin Bieksa. Eddie Lack will join us next on Sportsnet 650.